0: Well, good morning, church. It is good for us to be together. Before we get started, we have some important business we need to settle and get through. Uh, So, just by a show of hands, how many people are going to be rooting for the Bengals this afternoon? How many people are rooting for the Rams? How many people are watching just for the commercials? Yeah, a few more. How many people are just tuning in for the halftime show concert? How many people have no idea what I'm talking about this morning? (laughs) Anybody? A few of you in the back. All right, good. It's all good to know who I'm talking to. So just sort of get a lay of the lamb. So it is good for us to be together, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you're joining us online, whether you are listening on the radio, wherever you are in life's journey, know that you are welcome here, and it is good for us to be together in the presence of God and in the presence of one another. And we give thanks for the technology that allows us to do that. So I am wrapping up a series this morning that we've been doing uh, over the last several weeks. We've been looking at over and over again that there is this theme that runs through Scripture that continually God continues to tap people on the shoulder, ordinary men and women, people like you and me, and says, I have something in mind for you. I have something that I need you to do. And invites us into a life of service to bring hope and healing, to partner with God, to bring heaven to earth. We've looked over the last several weeks at the stories of Abraham and Samuel and Esther and Jonah. Last week, we talked about Mary Magdalene. Now, in order to be successful in all of life's callings, I think it's important for us to have strong examples of people to follow, people that we can emulate, people whose lives we respect. In your life, you may have someone that you look up to. You try to model your life after them. You try to pattern yourself after the way that they live. Maybe in your career, you have a mentor, someone who has helped you in some way, shape, or form, sort of helped you grow into your role, whatever that may be. And I would argue that it's also true, not just in our careers, but also in our faith journey, for us to have people whose faith we admire, whose example in the way that they live their lives, not just their words, but also their deeds, the way that they live out their faith. It's important for us to have people like that in our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at one of those examples of how Jesus' followers are called to live Now, I've pointed out time and again that we have essentially four different accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, We call them gospels, a word that means good news. There are three that are all very similar. We call those the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synopsis is a word that sort of means seeing all together. It's from a Greek and Latin word, synopticus. But the fourth gospel, though, is different the content is largely distinct. Whereas in the synoptic gospels, those three, the stories are more or less the same. It all sort of contains the same thing. Some of the language is very much the same. In fact, there are some parts that are exactly the same. The wording is even the same, as if to say that they were looking over the shoulders of one another, sort of a copy and paste type thing. But the fourth gospel is different. It's beautiful. It's poetic. It's a, it's a literary masterpiece in a sense. It has this rhythmic repetition of words and themes that sort of draws the reader in, invites us into this vortex of this gospel of light and life. Now, let me give you an example of that. Instead of a birth story that introduces the gospel that sort of starts it off about how Jesus was Come into this world. John starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, John uses imagery, uses symbolism much more than the straightforward facts in order to drive home his theological and even Christological points. Not only that, but as we saw last week with Mary Magdalene, John paints a more intimate picture of Jesus' relationship with his followers. In the synoptics, Peter is sort of the the main character in terms of the disciples. But in John, we meet this mysterious character who's never called by name. He's simply referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. That is the disciple in John's gospel that sort of takes center stage. Well, obviously, Jesus is the lead actor, but this is sort of the best supporting actor, if you will. Scholars oftentimes refer to this person as the beloved disciple, and he's only found in John's gospel, but he is set up as a prime example of what a disciple should be. Now, interestingly enough, he's not mentioned at all until we get to the 13th chapter of the gospel, but then sort of almost abruptly, he just sort of pops into the story and then sort of settles in for the rest of the story. Now, as the curtain opens on John chapter 13, Jesus is eating his last meal with his disciples, knowing that this is his final night with those people that he loves, those people that he's been sharing his life with. He uses this evening to sort of prepare them for life without him. Sort of shows them how they are to love and to live amongst each other. So, during dinner... With no household servant on hand to wash their road-weary, grimy feet, Jesus shockingly assumes that role and gets up in the middle of the dinner, wraps a towel around his waist, grabs a basin, and starts washing the feet of his disciples. Now, I don't have the language to articulate as clearly as it needs to be how shocking this would have been, how stunning, but yet that is where we pick up the story this morning.
1: Our scripture today is from John chapter 13. Here begins a reading. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, Simon Peter, therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And a little later, Jesus said to them, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: So now I know what you're thinking. This is not the same type of story that we've been looking at over these last several weeks. This is not really a call story, and I suppose that you are right. But in this last sermon of this series, what I want to do is to look at the relationship between the beloved disciple and Jesus, because that relationship is what allows the beloved disciple to fully respond, and to live into His call as a follower of Jesus. And the reason that I want us to do that this morning is because I believe with all that I am that every single one of us has a call placed upon our lives, that we are all called to follow Jesus. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that the beloved disciple is never called by name. He's only referred to as the one whom Jesus loved, almost as sort of an afterthought, a throwaway. And scholars and Christians have been arguing and debating over the identity of this beloved disciple for centuries. The most common assumption, of course, is that it is John himself. That it's John himself. John was a part of uh, Jesus' inner circle of friends, and so uh, maybe it was him. He sort of wrote himself into the story. Others believe that the beloved disciple maybe was Lazarus. Lazarus was the one that died, and Jesus came upon him and wept, wept because he loved him so much, and then raised him from the dead. Maybe, maybe the beloved disciple was Lazarus. Some scholars believe that it was Jesus' brother, James, that was the beloved disciple, and maybe maybe even Mary Magdalene, that maybe she was the one whom Jesus loved. And the truth is, while there are some good reasons that it could be each of those, we really don't know. There's no way to prove or disprove any of those theories. And in the same way, there are several theories as to why the disciples why, why his name is never mentioned at all. Some believe that maybe it's because the anonymity is, is because of humility, especially if it was John, right? You wouldn't want to write yourself into the story and then set yourself up. So, out of a sense of hubris, he simply refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Others suggest that maybe their identity was kept secret in order, to, in order to protect the disciple from some sort of persecution moving forward. But other scholars believe, and, and this is what I believe as well, is that the main reason that the disciple's identity remains obscured is so that we can each, each of us, all of us, we can all write ourselves into that story. We can all envision ourselves as having that relationship with Jesus, that each of us are the beloved disciple, that you, that you are the one that Jesus loves. I love that idea and think that that's what John was up to in this story. I've set for you an example, Jesus says, that you should do as I have done to you, Jesus says, after he had finished washing his, his feet. Now, in the synoptic gospels, Jesus explains the importance of servanthood. He says to them that, that, that he came not necessarily to be served, but to serve. And in another part of the gospel, another part of one of the synoptics, there's this this scene where two of the disciples are in an argument, a heated debate over which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus interrupts and says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. If you want to be first, you have to be last. The greatest among you will be those that have sought and learned how to serve. But in John's gospel, where symbolism reigns, here, here, Jesus knows, Jesus knows that actions speak far louder than words. And so not just does he tell them about servanthood, he shows them what it means to serve. And so that night, as they gathered together around the table, the word made flesh, the creator of the universe, the greatest among them, is washing their feet. Scandalous. And of course, the next day he would exchange that towel in the basin for a cross, and he would literally lay down his life for them. So that night, knowing that his time with them was almost up, he gave them this powerful example, wanted to leave them with a a searing impression that he hoped would sustain them in the days and weeks and years to show them what it means to live a life of sacrificial love, to show humility towards one another, knowing, knowing as he does, that, that the human inclination leans the other way, that we would much prefer to be served than to serve. Well, you may have picked up on another piece of the story that I think is somewhat fascinating And that is that as they sat around the table that night, one of His disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to Him. Now, what does this mean, you may ask? Well, see, in that time, in that culture, the dinner table sat very low. They didn't sit in chairs in the way that you and I might, but instead they would lean on pillows, and they would sort of Tuck their feet in behind so that they could sort of make room for other people at the table rather than laying crosswise. They would sort of lean in and recline in that way. And yet, if we look at those words, reclining next to him in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, we see that, as we might expect from John, that there is this deeper, there was this more symbolic meeting. Now, the words translated next to him in Greek are entokopo to Jesu. Let me hear you say that. <laughs> all right, good. Well, just uh, you'll want to write this down. This will be on the final exam, so you'll need to know all this for the final. So, N is translated in or against or near, and to is the, and to Jesu means of Jesus. So that part's pretty plain and simple, but there are a couple of different alternative translations for the word kolpos that might shed a little more light on the relationship between this beloved disciple and Jesus. So while kolpos could mean side, it can also mean heart or breast or bosom. So this sentence could be translated, the one whom Jesus loved was leaning against his heart or leaning into his heart. In fact, the King James Version reads, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, I mentioned that John's gospel begins with this bold statement about the Word being with God at the beginning, that the Word was God. God. This was John's way of saying that that God and Jesus, they're one. That Jesus is not just fully human, walking and talking among us, but at the same time, He is fully divine. That Jesus is the author of life that brings light into our world of darkness. And a little bit later, in that prologue to John, the introduction to John, he says this No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. No one has ever seen him, but it is the only Son, the one who is close to the Father's heart who's made him known. Now, that phrase there, close to the Father's heart, in Greek, entokopo. In other words, Jesus, God incarnate, who is close to the Father's heart, has this similar intimate relationship with the one that he calls Lord. The one whom he loves leans into Jesus' breast, occupying that same level of intimacy with his Lord as Jesus has with God. You see, Leaning on Jesus' breast, leaning into the heart of the one who brings us life, who sacrificially, who sacrificially washes us and brings light into our darkness, reveals to us the very deep love of God and Jesus Christ that God has for those of us that are created in God's own image. You see, it's leaning into the heart of Jesus that ex- allows us to experience this divine love, as well as that understanding, that desire, that strength to serve others in response to that love. About 20 years ago, a group of women were leaving church one Sunday morning in Dallas, not too far from here. And this is a group of women that had been worshiping together. And as they were walking out to the parking lot together, they noticed across the parking lot there was this woman who was standing sort of at the edge on the curb. And they noticed, they recognized her first, that she had been in worship with them over the last several weeks. But they noticed today she was standing at a distance and she was weeping. She was weeping, so feeling compelled, they walked over to her and asked her if everything was all right, knowing obviously that it wasn't. And when they did that, they noticed that she had a fistful of money. The woman went on to explain that her name was Amy, and she said, I've been coming to this church for the last several weeks, and I have come to love God, and for the first time in my life, I know that God loves me. This was revelatory in this woman's life. Never had she ever conceived that in her wildest imagination, that she was loved by God, but yet she had come to discover that. And she says, and I came this morning, and I wanted to put this money in the offering plate, but I can't. I can't, she says, because it's dirty money. She went on to explain that she was an exotic dancer, And that she had been trafficked into this business by a family member at a young age. And it was the only life that she had ever known. And she said to them with tears running down her face, I want to quit, but I don't know how. I don't know what else I can do. And so right then, in that moment, this group of women felt compelled. And they committed to her that that they would help her that they would surround her, and so for the next several months, they surrounded her with love and acceptance, with grace. They, 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 they helped her financially so that she could quit her job and, and begin to get her feet underneath her. They helped her get the resources that she needed, the services that she needed. They helped her get her GED. Well, along the way, this woman's friend, her former Co workers started wanting that same assistance. They came seeking that same sort of help. And, and out of this chance encounter, this group of women began this ministry called New Friends, New Life. And it was born, and it, it to this day helps sexually exploited and trafficked women break away from that old life and find light in the midst of darkness. And it now offers help and hope to over 1,200 teens and women and children every single year, all because this group of women were willing were willing to roll up their sleeves and to wash some feet. You see, Church, every single one of us has a call that has been placed upon our lives. And we are called, if nothing else, if nothing else, we are called to follow Jesus. And our call as followers is to lean into the heart of Christ, to be so close to them that we can reveal to the world through our words and through our deeds the character and the love of God. If that's all we do with our lives, that would be enough. If you do this, he says, if you live like this, If you lean in, everyone will know that we are his disciples. Now, I know the tendency, the human inclination always leans heavily the other way, towards wanting to be served, to lean in on ourselves and not God. But if we can lean into the heart of Jesus to love one another the way that Jesus loves us, they will see in us what it means to love, but also to be loved. The true identity of the beloved disciple, thankfully, remains a mystery. But through the testimony of the one whom Jesus loves, we are beckoned We are called to be the beloved disciple. And so church, may you know, may you know that you are a child of God. You are called to follow the one that we call Christ. And may you lean into the heart of Jesus and live that beautiful, unique, abundant life that God envisions for all of us. If you do this, He says, if you live this way, others will know what it means to love and what it means to be loved. Amen.